December and January last year, because uh, in Brazil, our winters are what you would deem as mild, or you might even deem as hot. Uh, we, we occasionally drop into the 60s, uh, so it's, it's not, you know, our winter is, is extremely mild, and I kind of missed that, that feeling of, of being cold, and so I, I told Jill, the next time we, we're going to go during, uh, during the winter, and of course we can go for Christmas and, and be there in January, and, and last year we were here about a week or two, and I told her, I said, we are never coming back. Uh, during the winter, and of course, here we are this year uh, in the winter. So, uh, as you can tell, what I say doesn't carry a lot of weight sometimes in, in my family. But we are excited to be here, uh, and it's not—it hasn't been too bad this go around. It's a little, a little chilly, but uh, it is—it is February and it is winter. So, uh, we're, we're once again really excited. Uh, we wanted to just kind of give you an update about the things that are going on in Niteroi. Um, and for some of you, many of you uh, know about our work, but I'm guessing that there are some of you that, that don't know a, a whole lot about our work in Niteroi, Brazil. But Niteroi is located across the bay from Rio de Janeiro. Um, most people have heard of Rio. Uh, and we, we live, basically, I'll use this one over here. Uh, there we go. Well, kind of. There's a red dot there someplace. Right there where it says Niteroi. That's not working so well. Anyway, you can read. Most, most of you can read. Uh, once again, I'm not going to name names. But uh, Niteroi is across the, across the bay there from uh, Rio de Janeiro. Uh, it's a city of about 600, 700,000 people with a metro area as it goes out outside of our city of about 1.5 to 2 million. And every time I say these numbers, I just think the guys that do the census, they... There's a, there's a big error, uh, margin for error in their work when they, when they get to say Rio is between 12 and 14 million. Like, that's 2 million people that, that they get uh, plus or minus. And Niteroi, between seven, uh, 600 and 700,000 people, I think their job's pretty nice. They don't have to be very exact. But regardless, you get the idea that it's a, it's a big city, a uh, big metropolitan area. A lot of the people that uh, live, in, uh, live in Niteroi work in, in Rio. And so there's a lot. It's a very, uh, a lot of travel and commuting back and forth between the two cities. Uh, it is a very urban city, and you can see there's a lot of buildings, and uh, it's just everything is built up. The, the confines of the city, are it's not very big as far as the land uh, mass, but everything is built up. Everyone lives in high-rise apartments um, or, or condominium housing uh, sections where it's just groupings of houses, uh, and most of them are, are built up. And so it's, it's a very urban area. Just to kind of give you an overview of kind of uh, what our team and the schedule of how we've done things. We arrived in, in uh, 08, arrived on the field, began working, began acquiring language, uh, working on just kind of knowing the culture, figuring out exactly where the best place to plant a church in Niteroi was. Uh, Niteroi, like I said, is a, a, a big city like that, but there were no churches of Christ at, at that time, and so we were kind of looking, well, if there's only going to be one, where's the best place to put that? And so we worked during that first year or so, and we began meeting uh, in homes and with other, with other people that we met, but we inaugurated our, our official church building uh, rented facility that we had in March of 2010, and so we began working in that, in that rented uh, facility at that point. Um, a big part of what we do and a big part of our plan was to go and to kind of plant a church and to have a, a permanent and a, um, a very visible location in the, in the city. And so it, almost from day one, we've kind of been looking, where's an area that we could permanently plant and put that church? 
And in December of 2013, we were able to finalize and purchase a piece of property. And so kind of we've been working since then to kind of get to where we can, uh, we were looking for a place to either build something or to renovate an existing structure. And so uh, we found a place and it had a, a fair size house on it, but it was very old and uh, kind of was falling down. And so we, in October of 2015, we finally got the documentation and the, uh, the uh, city finally allowed us to be able to do commence with the demolition, and so we began the demolition, and then since then we've still been waiting on the permits in order to be able to uh, construct a facility in which just on January the 11th of this year, we got the last uh, permit that we need, and so we have already begun, and we're working uh, to do, working on beginning the construction. Uh, just kind of give you an overview of kind of what the, our goals are as a team. Uh, we are working to plant a, a Brazilian-led Church of Christ in Niteroi. As I mentioned, there, before we arrived, there wasn't one. And so that's a big part of what we were trying to do. And in order for us to, for the viability of that church, we really believe that we have to raise up and uh, disciple Brazilian, native Brazilian leaders. And uh, as long as there are American missionaries there, it's, it's good and we, can, and we can help. But we're... We can't be there forever. The plan can't be to always receive funds from the U.S. We have to be able to help that church to get to the point where they can, they can stand on their own two feet and that they can uh, sustain and pay for the ministries and help uh, further the, the, the work of the church there in their community. And uh, so doing that, being for them to be self-sustaining is, is, a, is a big goal and the biggest way to do that is to raise up the, the native Brazilian leadership. And so that's one of what we're, one of the things. And then kind of the dream and the vision that we're trying to cast for this group is that people uh, all around the world, uh, especially here, uh, have given lots of resources to them to, to plant and to get their church off the ground. And so our idea is to instill that in them that they are kind of to pay it forward, if you will, and they're kind of to have the vision that they need to plant and help other churches uh, in their community and their neighboring areas. As I said, that's an extremely large area to even only have one church. And so uh, the idea is to kind of cast that vision that, you know, we're supposed to be out there planting and uh, building other churches and just trying to help everyone to see the need and to uh, kind of just to do what's been done for them. Uh, our, our congregation is very thankful and very appreciative and, and realizes all the good things that have been done for them. And so I think that they're kind of right now beginning to, to buy in and, and kind of to see that vision and kind of be able to uh, kind of to look forward to the future when they're able to, to bless another church in the ways that uh, people like you have blessed them. We, when we work in church, we do various ministries, just like uh, there are things here. We do men's and women's ministry. Uh, we have uh, people, you know, just to get together, small groups. We have a couple of pictures here of just different ministry activities we do, uh, just getting together, getting, trying to be involved in investing in the lives of uh, Brazilians, um, whether it's through a women's or men's ministry or through a youth activity. Uh, as far as the practice of ministries and things like that, I, I would say the, the way that we do that is, is very similar to a lot of the things that, that, you, that you do here. Uh, it's just done in Portuguese and uh, done in Brazil. 
but the actual, the ways that we go about it, the ideas, the creative things that people use are, are very similar. These are, uh, this is a picture of worship. Uh, we currently have a, a, a congregation of about between average, on Sundays, about between 50 and 60 people. Uh, we have, I don't know, 70, 75, maybe even 80 on the roll, but I don't know, I don't know if it's this way, that, this way here, but sometimes there are actually more people on the, the church attendance that actually show up. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's that way everywhere, but it's that way at our church. Uh, so we're, 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 we're always reaching out to those people, trying to get everybody, everybody to church together. But it's, it's really uh, a close-knit community uh, of believers, and we're really working to kind of build uh, a core leadership. And that's, uh, this is a picture at a church to high school that we had, uh, and that's one of the bigger events that we do. Brazilians love to barbecue, and so anytime we have one of these, uh, we always have uh, really good attendance. But it's, it's a great time to be able to fellowship and talk about what the things that we want to do in the coming year. And it's, it's been a real positive, uh, positive part of what we're doing. And in building this group of people, uh, we're really trying to invest in the people that, and kind of see who is, who is it that God's going to bring to the forefront to be leaders uh, for the future church uh, as the missionaries begin to uh, leave the work and Brazilians begin to take a more uh, primary responsibility in the, in the leadership of the group. As I mentioned, uh, the building project that we're doing is, uh, is kind of a, a big deal because we're currently rent in a rented facility. And in Brazil, there are lots of churches that kind of come in and will rent a facility. And then within a year or two, they'll be gone. And so a lot of people are very skeptical of churches that uh, don't have a permanent facility or aren't in a, in a facility that kind of looks like a church. Uh, it's very cultural to, to go to church. Um, the small groups and, and meeting in homes is something that is just starting to catch on there, but is far, it in no way is ever going to replace the idea of going and meeting collectively as a body. Uh, Brazilians are very uh, communal, and so a place to, to worship is, is a very uh, fundamental part of, of that culture there in Brazil. As you can see here on the, I have to, on the top left-hand uh, picture, at the top is a picture of the facility, and you kind of see that there's an old house and a bunch of trees up there. And on the right is the, the picture of that house and kind of the, just after, it would, kind of how it was left when we purchased it. And then on the bottom left is as the, the demolition began, and then on the bottom right is after the demolition was complete. So you, as you can see, we're, we're making uh, good progress and we're, we're getting moving forward. These pictures right here are the, the last, the most recent pictures that I have of the facility. Um, since before we left, right before we left, we took these pictures. And this is as they are beginning to work on the foundation. And so things finally are, are beginning to move. And as you, if we move to the next shot, we have a picture of kind of some of the renderings of what the church uh, will look like. Uh, just we'll have a, a front here on the far left is just a picture of kind of the facade on the outside, and then it would be a multi-level facility, and then the top right is a picture of what they project the uh, auditorium area would look like. Now, I know nobody's, well, you probably can't count all those little chairs in there, but we currently have a facility that is about 320, 310 uh, square feet, and that's basically the, the area that we have for the worship. Uh, it, it fits between 
50 and 60, if we get to 70, it starts to feel really full. If we put more than 70 in there, it's, it's really, people are on top of each other. This picture right here is, uh, the architect drew it for where it would hold 250 uh, people in chairs, which is a lot of room for us to grow. Uh, and in Brazilian standards, uh, if, if, it's, if, if it's zoned for 250, they can get 350 in there. And so uh, we're really excited. As long as the fire marshal doesn't come through, we, are gonna, we can just pack that place. But uh, it's just, and that is just one of the floors. Now, it, it is the largest of the floors that we'll have, but it, it will end up being between three and four times the space that we have just in the, on the downstairs. Uh, and about three or four times, excuse me, three or four times the space we have if we take, took the bottom, the downstairs and the upstairs and put them together. So we're going to be able to do a lot more things. Uh, I know you guys use your building here in, in just a myriad of ways and are able to uh, do things at the building throughout the week. Uh, there are always people coming in and out of the building here and it allows you to have a reputation in the community. And those are the things that we are hoping to be able to accomplish with, with our building. By no means do we think having a building will just, uh, will just baptize millions of people just by building a building. But it's more that the, the tool that, that the building allows us, uh, it gives us, and the ways that we can have an impact in our communities and bring more people in and help them to understand and, and get a chance, an opportunity to have excuse me, to have a relationship with Christ. Uh, this last picture I have here is a picture of our team. Um, we came to the field in 2008 with, a, with uh, five couples, and over the course of the first two or three years, uh, two of the couples had to return because of family situations, and then at the end of the fifth year, a third couple returned, just they had fulfilled their commitment. And so two years ago, we had two new couples who joined our, our our team, and so we currently have four American couples working uh, there in Brazil, and we have been working really hard in this past, I would say the last year, year and a half, I really feel like we've seen a jump in ownership from the Brazilian people. Uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, we're really working and trying to focus and building leadership, finding people, men and women who are ready to kind of assume more responsibility for the church, to be able to to uh, have not just kind of participate in the ministries, but want to be involved and, and look for ways that they can use their own talents, their unique gifts to bless uh, the lives of, of other people. And so uh, this group of people uh, is, has been working really, really well together. And uh, we've seen, a, we've just been really blessed by all the things that, that God has, has done through, uh, through them and through, through all of us. And it's been, it's been amazing to see how God has worked. Uh, if you asked me, you know, eight, nine years ago, um, what this work was going to look like, I probably would have, it would have looked a little bit different than this. But, you know, the work that we have today looks exactly like God want, wants it to. And the work that we have today, I, believe this or not, it's better than how I would have done it. Because when God does something, he does it in a way that is so much more, uh, is so much more complete, is built to last, and this, this work that we've been uh, working with, it is, it's, like I said, it's, it's change, it's, some days it's really, uh, really frustrating, but then other days you just are able to sit back and you see what God is doing, and when, 
when you work in a place where it's, you're outside of your comfort zone at pretty much all times, uh, you know, you realize what God is doing. Um, one of the greatest parts that I would say for, for my family and I of being and working in a, in a foreign place is you have to depend on God. You don't have a choice because there are moments and situations in your life where you just realize there's, there's so many things that I can't control, and even if I can control, I don't know if I know how to say that. I don't know how, if I know how to communicate all the nuances of, of, of the situations. But God is at work. God has blessed us, and he, is, he has made this work and is, is growing this church to be something that lasts. Um, as Patrick mentioned, we've, we've been working for more than eight years now with uh, partnering with you guys, and uh, we have these four couples. And at the end of this year, Jill and I are, are thinking that we're probably going to return from the, from the field and, and come back. And while it's really kind of hard for me to even say that because the work there and, and what we're doing is such a big part of what we do, uh, it's, it's really hard to think about coming back. But as I was mentioning, the church really is progressing. And while uh, it, you know, we don't have a church of 500, we have a church that is growing in their faith. We have a church that is maturing. And in order for that church to fully become what it needs to be, some of us need to get out of the way. And uh, it's the same way. Uh, leaders need to know when it's time. And uh, I'll be honest, I wrestle with it sometimes. Is this really the right time? But I know that God, God has brought this work to this place. God has done amazing things in, in our work and has brought numerous contacts and numerous uh, opportunities to us. And I know that it doesn't depend on me, thankfully. It depends on God. And God is going to continue to work in, in, in Niteroi and is going to continue to build up those leaders in, in the church. But I, I am so excited about what he has done to this point. I hope uh, in, in whatever ways I can communicate to you uh, just what a wonderful success and partnership we have had. Uh, I feel truly blessed to have worked and partnered with the church here because uh, you guys have always been so supportive and encouraging to, to us and offer, always available to, to offer uh, advice and encouragement. And so I am so grateful. But more so than that, all of the things that we talked about, even the many things that we didn't get to talk about, God is the one doing the work. And God is building something eternal uh, in our city in Niteroi, Brazil. And I say our city, I'm not just talking about Jill and mines. I'm talking about our city. Uh, because you guys have been investing and you guys have been working uh, there. And I appreciate the, the trust and faith that you've given me to allow me to, to, to be there uh, for you. But I just want to just say thank you for all that God has done because God is doing a great work, and he's going to do so much more. And the biggest part of building a church, or one of the biggest parts of building a church, in my opinion, is, is what you, how you invest in, in the people that you're working with. One of the things that I admire greatly about the church here is how involved and, and how, how many things you try to do to be involved in the community, to reach people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And... Uh, in order to do that, a lot of times, uh, 
you have to kind of get to know people. You have to become friends or, or attempt to uh, be involved in somebody's life. And, and the closer you get to people, uh, the more, in my opinion, the more you're willing to do for someone. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have close friends. I hope you do. Uh, but for my close friends, sometimes I get talked into doing absurd things. Um, sometimes for a friend, I'm willing to do something that I wouldn't always do. I think sometimes for friends or, or for family, for our children, sometimes we uh, do extreme things that we might not normally do. I will play games with, with my three-year-old that if you, probably, if you come up and ask me to play with you, I probably will politely decline. Uh, there are things that I am willing to do for him if you, talk, if you talk me into it, maybe I will do it with you. But I, like, because of the relationship that I have with him, I'm willing to do certain things. Uh, probably many of us have probably done some things that we might regret because of our friends. Anyone done anything that they regretted at any point in time in their life because of a friend? There's a bunch of liars there. <laughs> it happens. But I, and we... We do that because we're invested in that person. We do that, we, we do that because we care about that person and we, we're trying to appease them or do things for them. I, if you have your Bibles, if you'll open to Mark chapter 2, I want to take a, a quick look at a, at a passage that it really struck me a few, a few weeks ago when I was looking at it. Um, in Mark chapter 2, it's the story of when Jesus heals the paralytic. And it says, uh, starting in verse 1, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So they gathered uh, that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men, ca some men came, bringing a paralytic, carried by four, four of them. Since they could not get, in, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof, Above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking and with their thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So here... In Mark chapter 2, we have this story, and uh, growing up, I always loved this story because there was always a neat craft where you cut out the, the, the ceiling or the roof, and you could lower the, I don't know, at my Sunday school, I always loved when we studied this story. But when we talk about this story, in this passage, it says that uh, these four men brought this guy to Jesus. And now, in the, in the passage, it does not say that they are friends, but... In my opinion, take it for what it's worth, um, th these guys have to be friends. 
uh, well, there's, in my opinion, there's two options. They have to be friends of this guy because only friends are going to go to somebody else's, take you to somebody else's place, vandalize their property uh, so that you get to go get to where you want to go. Or the other is these people know, know who Jesus is. And either way, these are men are, these are good men, uh, loyal to their friend, or they know what Jesus can do for this guy. And regardless whether or not they're just friends or if they're faithful believers, I want us to think about what it is that they do to get this guy to Jesus. At first, they're, they're carrying him in this mat or on this mat or a stretcher or however you imagine it. And the four of them are carrying this guy and they try to go in and it, it's too full. There's too many people that they cannot get through. That has to be really full because people generally, most people when they see a, a paralytic being carried in on a stretcher, most people will try. If there's any path, common decency will show that people generally will let people try to get through. But it was so packed. I mean, this is, this is just a multitude of people in a very confined space. They could not do it. It was too packed. So then they go up on top, start digging through the roof or removing tiles, however it might have been. Uh, but they're going to an extreme measure. And the extreme measure that, that, that they are taking, one, I mean, this is a very bold move. This is something, I mean, he's preaching and teaching. This is going to be a little bit distracting when the roof opens up. And it's going to draw a little bit of tension away from the message that is being delivered today, at that day and time. I imagine for Jesus, it's probably a little bit distracting to be preaching and doing your teaching with, the, the roof opening up above you. But these men were so loyal to, this, to their friend or so convinced of what Jesus could do for him that they continued and they opened up this, they made this opening and lowered him down. I just think about what determination, what resolve they had in order to do that. And like I said, if these men were just faithful believers, it's, that's such confidence, such faith that they had in, in what Jesus could do for this man. And when I think about the people in my life, I have lots of people who I need to be attempting to lead and bring to Christ. But sometimes I get deterred. Sometimes uh, I get distracted. Sometimes I just get tired and lazy. And I'm not always willing to go the extra mile to, to bring my friends and my family to Christ. And today I just want us to think about who are the people in our lives that need Jesus. Because all of, I hope that all of us have people in our lives. Um, if you don't have anyone in your life that you, if everyone in your life already knows and has a relationship with Jesus, you need to go meet some new people. Uh, because we all, we have something it is so great. And what has been given to us by Christ is, I mean, it's eternity. And it's free. And it's not like I need to hold it and hang on to it. If, if I, as long as I have mine, if somebody else gets it, they're going to take mine away. It's not that way. 
Jesus has offered this to, to all of us, to all of the people in our communities, all of our friends and our family members. And when, we're, when we become so convinced that Jesus can make our friends and our family members' lives better, when we get to that point, we will stop at nothing to get them before Jesus. And we've got to, we need to feel that urgency in our own lives. For me, I get, I get distracted by the, by the comforts that I have in my life. Um, I get distracted by the situations and the relationships that I have. Sometimes I just get discouraged because maybe that person is not, uh, is, maybe they don't feel the urgency or maybe they don't see the need for Christ. And, and what, I'm, what I'm getting at today is I'm not saying that we can force someone uh, to have a relationship with Jesus. But what I'm, what I'm trying to get us to consider and to think is we should be stopping at nothing. Nothing should deter us from constantly striving to help people get to know Jesus. Jesus has what we need, and it doesn't matter what our ailment is, whether it's we're, we're paralyzed or whether it's we have financial problems or we have marital problems. It doesn't matter what our ailment is. Jesus can help us. I love in this story, when Jesus sees their faith, he says that his sins are forgiven. And then he knows what the other people are thinking. And then he says, so that you might know, stand, get up and, and walk. And the guy picks up his mat and he walks out. That guy had multiple afflictions that day. And he walked away a whole man. And it doesn't matter what our affliction, it doesn't matter what our problem is. We know the man that can, can help us. We know the man who has the answer that we need. And it may not be an easy answer. And it may take us uh, a long time to, to totally get our, our lives in order. But we know who we need to go to. I really, I really love to think about in my life, who is it that I need to be more adamant about showing Christ in, in my life to them? And we, we have friends, I have very close friends, that in thinking and, and reading and preparing for this, this talk this morning, become very convicted about, you know what, I'm not always, sometimes I've, I've kind of quit. It's kind of like they've asked me, maybe I, I should be taking them up and getting up on the roof, but instead I'm just kind of outside, being like, oh, can't get in, sorry. And, I, and that, that for me is good enough. But we have to find a way because there are lost people. And think about how you came to Christ, whether it was through your family or if it was through a, a church or through a friend. Somebody cared enough to, to demonstrate and to show Christ to you and introduce you to the man who has the ability to, to save and has the ability to restore all things. I love so much that uh, Clint passed on the, the vision statement that you guys uh, have recently worked worked on or done, I don't know exactly the right terminology, but uh, you guys have been talking about. And I love the one that, that highlights on, on, uh, on missions to restore all things. We, I can't restore all things, but Jesus can. And we know the guy who can, and all we have to do is to bring those people to him. Uh, I appreciate so much for the opportunity that you guys have given me 
to uh, attempt to do that with the people of Brazil. And I know that you guys are doing that here in, in Paris. But I want to encourage you, don't, don't be discouraged. Don't give up and stop at nothing to get your loved ones, your friends, uh, the people in your community to Jesus because he can change their lives and he can impact their, their lives for eternity. And if there's anything, any way that anyone from the church here can help you, if we can just talk with you and pray with you, whatever uh, your situation or your need might be, this is a group of people who want to help and want to be involved in, in your life. And if we can help in any way, would you please stand as, stand as we come and sing?